This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you very much for coming to Obsessed with Joseph Scrimshaw. This is a podcast about people who like things maybe a little bit too much, uh, and I am honored to have three people here tonight as guests who like things a lot. Uh, the first guest is public radio host of Marketplace Tech right now and of the awesome radio show Wits, Mr. John Moe. Hello, Mr. Moe. How are you? I'm fine. I had to sit down in the, my microphone sitting place. <laughs> John Moe is a radio professional. I'm a radio professional in my microphone sitting place. The microphone sitting place. Wonderful. And our next awesome person is professional bird watcher and swearing person. <laughs> if people could be paid to professionally swear, she would be the first person hired. Please welcome Sharon Steitler. <laughs> Hello, Sharon. Hello, fucking Joe. <laughs> <laughs> a great ah. novel, fucking Joe. Sam uh, Shepard play. <laughs> Sam Shepard play. And our final guest is maybe somebody I know, but maybe not, because I'm going to pull a name out of my little basket of fate and pick a random audience volunteer. And that person will be Lee Burkhalter. Where is Lee Burkhalter? <laughs> Hello, Lee. How are you? Now, Lee, you can go ahead and sit and watch the proceedings for a little while and, and see if you're still comfortable with coming on stage. <laughs> it's not going to be scary. It's not going to be scary. We, we endeavor to be nice. And your obsession is with sub-beta? Is that correct? All right. Well, and then it says online pet slice? Oh, website. <laughs> okay, that's, that's less scary. Uh, Cool. So I, w I wait. This is awesome. I wait to hear much more about this. Thank you very much. So we're going to jump right in with Mr. John Moe. Uh, so John, yeah. tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Uh, about myself, I'm uh, a guy who lives in St. Paul and uh, does some radio and hosts some shows and spends uh, entirely too much time thinking about the Seattle Supersonics. Awesome. Awesome. So... When did you first encounter the Seattle Supersonics? Okay, well, the Seattle Supersonics, uh, you know, to, to first color the pathos of my obsession, uh, is, a, is a basketball team, uh, a former basketball team in the National Basketball Association, possibly a future team in the National Basketball Association, but not presently a team. And in that uh, absence, they, they were uh, kidnapped and murdered in 2008. <laughs> Um, my obsession has only grown stronger. My obsession started, um, you know, it, they, the team started in 1967, which was before I was born. Um, my uh, kind of realization of my relationship with them wa was, uh, was forged when they were the runners-up to the NBA championship in 1978, uh, when I was, uh, I guess, nine years old. And... Uh, when they, well, I was eight years old, and then when they won the championship when I was nine years old in 1979. That, and that just sealed the deal for you. That sealed the deal, and uh, not only was I, was I uh, obsessed with that team and could name all the players on the team, um, 
I went to the airport when they flew back from Washington, D.C. I was nine years old. My dad worked at the airport, and he worked at a, a freight company uh, with, whose office building was, was on the airport grounds, kind of away from the, the main terminal. And I went up on the, I got to go up on the roof. I got to climb a special ladder uh, <laughs> with, with all the employees. When it was the, the employees only ladder. Yeah. Well, it was like a, it was like a service ladder, you know, like it was the first time any of the employees had been up on right, the roof. Like you only see those ladders when like James Bond is climbing <laughs> on them in movies. <laughs> right. 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 And, which is rarely at an air freight company in Seattle. <laughs> and uh, I climbed up there and we got to get out binoculars and watch from a distance the Sonics getting off the plane. Watching basketball players get off a plane. So you had an assassin's perch <laughs> as they got off the plane. Well, it made perfect it made perfect sense at the time. Like it was <laughs> we were all I mean Seattle back then um, wasn't the the kind of tech hub, the kind of uh, hipster hangout it was. To, it was just this really weird place up in the corner of the country that nobody paid any attention to. Right. And uh, and our team uh, which you know had never amounted to anything had won had won the championship and it it was right at that age where things could be galvanized in my mind and and that just stayed with me and so over the you know following decades as i as i grew up i always knew you know before i went to bed i always knew whether this, the sonics had won that night or not i i could always name every player on the sonics roster you know even if i wasn't paying as much attention to the game like if somebody signed a 10-day contract I knew you knew I how knew. many days they had left I, okay. knew, I knew how many days they had left so just to back up for a second because you're yeah. you're the first guest unobsessed with with two things uh, someone who's obsessed with sports yes and someone who is obsessed with something that no longer exists yes <laughs> so it's unique but I uh, know the way I know you uh, is an artistic person sure. you're, you're a writer you're a performer you're a singer you do all these things. Uh, so, so did you, were you creative as a youth when you were also interested in sports? And oh, was yeah. there friction for you? No, I, I, I you know, I realized early on that I was uh, my my role in sports was as a spectator. Um, <laughs> I was. Uh, How did you make, did you I, make well, that discovery through trial know, and error? We uh, we sometimes figure things out when we try to make a free throw when <laughs> when we're quite young. Like, okay, I could be a fan. Um, <laughs> but no, I remember when I was in, in uh, eighth grade, uh, beginning of eighth grade, I was going to go out for the football team, which would have meant, you know, being second or third string, but being on the team and being like maybe on the jock track. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I uh, got a call from the local community theater where I was taking acting classes <laughs> uh, to audition for a play that they were doing for, you know, some some uh, a drama about the Bronte sisters and, uh, oh. and there was a, a Wh which Bronte did all you play Brontes. Or? Okay. no I was playing no Brontes okay. but but, uh, <laughs> but uh, there was a, a young boy in the play and I auditioned for it and I got the part and I was like okay that way <laughs> is the artistic <laughs> road that way is the athletic road and you know you, you kind of you realize where your skill set may lie. <laughs> yes. And so, um, you know, I, I and and in I mean, I was before I got, ever got into radio, I was I was an actor and a, a playwright, and and you know, you realize there's this small subset of uh, 
of theater folk who are also deeply, deeply into sports. So, yeah, you know. very small. In fact, the, all all the theater <laughs> people I know, me. yeah, there, there's like I can think of two others in yeah. the cities, and one of them is a very good friend of mine, and he's just actively aggressive about like why don't they get it, <laughs> you know? And he has this whole theory about how it's it's basically like Greek tragedy. And, it, you know. Well, it is like, and I think in basketball it's more so because in football, you know the they're impossibly bulky and their heads are obscured and there's pads and in and in baseball <laughs> they're designed to lose yeah. well yeah and, and in baseball there is a kind of defining uh, dramatic moment of, of being at the plate um, or you know if you get the ball hit to you trying to make a good play when the ball's hit to you and then it's a lot of standing around basketball is a constant ensemble basketball you know there's there's five people on the court and if you watch a really great basketball team um, I was watching a documentary about the Loyola Marymount teams of, uh, of the late 1980s, <laughs> which was this exceptional, crazy uh, style of basketball where they were basically just running. They were scoring like 160 points per game. And even if the other team was better, they would be exhausted by the third quarter and Loyola Marymount would win. But when you watch those teams play, it's like an ensemble in theater. It's like the talking heads and stop making sense. Everybody on stage or on the court knows what everybody else is doing and what they're about to do. And if you throw the ball, you know that person's going to be there. So in that sense, you know, that's why I, you know, I, I love basketball because it is theater. So it's like, it's just like collaborative movement theater. Yes. With Where, points. <laughs> and in my, and in my case, it's, you know, it's the, the, the salted grounds where the theater once stood. <laughs> it's, it's the ruins of the old Globe Theater in London. So you, so you became uh, obsessed with this team in particular. Yes, uh, only this team. Only this team. You hated all other teams. Well, no, I... I death. <laughs> I, I didn't hate... Well, I hated the, the Jazz, because fuck the Jazz. That's a dumb name um, for a sports yeah, team. in Utah. <laughs> How can they catch things when they're always making those hands? Uh, Come on. Always, well, it's, you know, when they're always laughing at the plays that they didn't make. <laughs> um, no, I... I mean, I just was, it, it wasn't like the Sonics made me happy. It's just that the Sonics were part of who I was, you know? And I mean, it's, it's kind of hard. It, like, I, I didn't say, oh, yay, the Sonics are on. That's going to be fun. It'd be like, okay, well, you know. I have to? Well, I just watched the team. What did the team do? You right. Know, like, and I, you know, I like the Mariners and I like the Seahawks, but tell me what the Sonics did. And when the, and when they um, there was a long decline where um, the CEO of Starbucks bought the team because he just wanted to own all of Seattle. Was well, that yeah? I, I mean, he wanted he wanted he, it was hubris. I mean, he thought that <laughs> he he made this uh, coffee thing work so he could do anything, <laughs> and uh, and so he bought the team and he wasn't getting his way, and he sold the team to guys from Oklahoma who said they weren't going to move the team. And then, of course, they set about to move the team, and it succeeded. And this happened, like, relatively recently, so now we're this dealing with adult John Moe, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, this happened in 2008. Um, I mean, we saw the signs a while before that, and it was odd because I, w I saw the signs um, around the time that I got a call uh, to offering a chance to move to Minnesota. And, you know, the two weren't related, but I'm like, wow, the, you know, the Sonics are falling apart. The, the new owners uh, made trades that were going to result in the team losing more. They cut back on their marketing. They canceled all player appearances in the community. They intentionally alienated the community to make the, the move to Oklahoma easier. 
and I'm like, wow, this is this is falling apart, and maybe it's just it's just time to go. And so, <laughs> there was nothing left for you in Seattle. Well, I mean, there there was some things, but um, yeah, I mean, when I when I knew I was leaving, and I kind of sensed that that they were leaving, I I took my my son, who was I guess he was uh, seven. Then, yeah, he was seven when we moved here. Um, I took him to his first and last Sonics game, and I bought him a shirt, and uh, bought myself this shirt that says Sonics <laughs> at that game too. And uh, and I said, we're going to a game because this is probably our last chance to ever see the Sonics. And uh, we went, and I, I got him a shirt with Kevin Durant in a Sonics uniform. And had had your son. Adopted the same love of the Sonics. He didn't even know what the Sonics were. Okay, um, he knew what the Mariners were. I'd been to a baseball game, but um, so we went to that, and then we moved out here. And then four months after we moved here, they announced the team was was leaving Seattle, and uh, you know I and then I, <laughs> I took him to a, a Timberwolves game the next year, and uh, I said, well, you know, maybe we'll go to a Timberwolves game. You know, we we knew Mike Rylander who worked for the right. Timberwolves here, and. You know, Mike was on the jumbotron and came over and said hi. And you know, I'm like, okay, well, that'll seal it. You know, yeah. there'll be Timberwolves <laughs> fans. And uh, and my my son said, well, I'm not a Timberwolves fan. And I said, well, didn't you have a good time at the game? He said, I had a great time, but that but that's not my team. And I said, well, you mean the Sonics? He said, yeah. And I said, well, they're not they're not there anymore. And he said, well, just because they're not there anymore. They're still my team. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's been passed down. He can root for them. He can regardless. root for them. Yeah. And so, and so then ever since then, I've been, I've been uh, following the efforts to, to um, build an arena in Seattle, which uh, I could – I don't know if you want me to go down that whole path. Well, I am curious about, like, no, you're settled here, and, yeah. and you're happy with your life here, and things Love are going great here. with your career. We'll never go back. But if what, what, how would it make you feel if the Sonics returned? Would you be happy following them from afar? Or would you like fly in to see games? Or yeah, I'd fly in to see. I'd fly in to see games. Um, I would. I would plan trips around it. Um, you know, I wouldn't. I would go see them when they were here. I wouldn't be the guy who shows up and is really obnoxious rooting for the visiting team because I hate that guy. But, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I. It would be the fruition of. I mean, I've been. I read. Uh, Sonic's websites probably five or six times a day every day. So what what's going on on Sonic's websites um, right now when well they for don't a, exist? For a long time, it was. Wouldn't it be great if the Sonics <laughs> came back? Um, a lot of flame wars over that, I bet. Well, yeah, I mean, and and uh, and then uh, last, uh, like late last year, early this year, um, and this is kind of, it's kind of weirdly poetic. A guy who is my exact age, graduated from high school the same year I did, went to, uh, went to Roosevelt High School in Seattle. Um, he became a billionaire hedge fund manager in the Bay Area. And he said, I want to build an arena, and I want to bring the NBA back to Seattle. Here is my plan as presented to the city council, to the county council, and to the mayor's office. And, the, you know, the... Uh, I'm going to build an arena with my own money, with some small amount of bonding money from the city, but basically all my own money, to build a team, to, to build an arena, bring in the NBA, bring in hockey, the NHL, and 
built into the contract is the team that arrives here has to be called the Seattle Sonics, and they have to wear green and gold. And so he's. But they would be playing hockey. No. <laughs> okay, because that I, it, I'm not a sports fan, and that it, pisses me it's, off. It's an awkward hybrid of basketball and hockey. No, it's um, <laughs> no. He wants to build it so it can house both the NBA and the NHL. Okay. And uh, and so he got the endorsement of the mayor and the ca- the the county executive. And so for the last nine months or so, I've been following uh, reports speculating on where the inclinations of individual city council members are going (laughs) in terms of voting for or against this bill. I happen to know the president of the Seattle City Council, so I email with her very delicately trying to get reads on where she's going. (laughs) So do you post on these uh, online things then? No. Okay. No, I mean, I, I occasionally say... You know, uh, <laughs> I live in St. Paul. Uh, we There's an arena in downtown St. Paul that if it wasn't there, I can't imagine that there'd be anything left of downtown St. Paul. Um, but I don't want to get, I, I don't want to get too political and I don't want to get, you know, because I just don't, I right. don't like mixing things up on comment <laughs> sections because I really feel like my fear is that when our civilization is wiped out probably by, you know, the bees, uh, that that uh, some future civilization from space will judge us on the comment sections on blogs yes. and really think that we're terrible people. And they would be right. And they yeah. would be right. Or be right. YouTube comments. Like, YouTube what if our comments. whole civilization is judged on that? So, no, I, I, I just lurk and I read. And, uh, you know, <laughs> then it's like right now. I, Lurking I, isn't any better. Don't no, worry, I, aliens. We lurk and read, too. Yeah. It's. It's a little better because it's not making things worse. It's, it's at least maintaining the status well, that, quo. That, that's interesting because one of the things that I like to ask people in the podcast, uh, if it hasn't already been clear, is how they express their obsessions. Because some things like sports or if you like Star Wars, whatever, you can buy anything yeah. that has the logo slapped on it. Yeah. But other obsessions, it's harder to like, how do, I ex- how do I actively express it? But it sounds like you kind of have invested in the narrative of the Seattle Supersonics. Well, yeah, here, here's the way I work. I, <laughs> I, I'm, incredibly, I'm incredibly productive in certain areas of my life. You know, like I, I put out a, a, a daily uh, technology radio show that's four minutes long, uh, along with other people helping with that too. Um, you know, I, I write a, a lot of things. I write voluminously. I, 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 do, the, I do wits. I do a lot of things that are very creative, um, but there are other areas of my life, like the Sonics, where I only consume. Yeah, the consuming thing makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. So, sort of to wrap up, I yes. would like to ask you some serious, pompous questions that I ask all of my guests. Serious, pompous questions? Yes. I never run across those. <laughs> never in public I work radio. In public radio. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So the first question is, yes, John Mo. If there was a magic word that turned you into a superhero, what would that word be? Is this related to the Sonics, or is this no? This is tapping into what else I know about you and the oh. kind of things you like to think about. Oh, uh, so like Shazam, if you had to declare something and it would turn you into a superhero, I guess it would be uh, Sigma. Nice, yeah, Jack Sigma, center for the Seattle SuperSonics. I brought <laughs> a photo. Uh, this is an LP called Sonic Boom, which is 
a recap of the championship season. Jack Sickna is on there. He's currently an assistant coach with your Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, so when you say Sigma, would you would you have basketball powers? <laughs> no. The thing about Sigma is that uh, he had no business being a basketball player, and he still doesn't. Uh, he's just this this great blonde geek from I think he's from Wisconsin, and uh, he just always seemed at odds with the world. But he happened to be seven foot one and could block <laughs> shots. So by saying Sigma. You you come from geekdom and you were able to assume great powers. Oh, nice! He left out the best part about this is that it says J C Penny presents. It was a J C Penny <laughs> exclusive. <Sonic> and my, <laughs> and I'd like to I'd like to add that this was purchased uh, at Goodwill by my wife just before we left Seattle. <laughs> That's love. Aww. And uh, I've never listened to it because it would make me cry too much. <laughs> All right, so next pompous question yes. of three. Would you rather live in the city, Boston, or be trapped on a desert island with only albums by the band Boston? I, I'll live in the city, Boston. <laughs> yeah. And finally, what is happiness? Uh, happiness is uh, stopping in order to savor the journey you have been on thus far. Oh, that's lovely. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. John Moe. Thank you. John, of course, will stay here and, and let us know any insights he has as we talk to Miss Sharon Steiler. Hello. Hello. So, Sharon, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. Uh, I work as an avian field ecologist, so I get paid to watch birds. Okay. So and you're I also a, have a blog. You're a professional bird watcher. You yes. have a blog, right? Yes. Birdchick.com. And you write bird books, right? I have written a bird book and a rabbit book. I'm actually working <laughs> on another bird book. Okay. And you get paid well to do all the bird books, right? <laughs> Wait, why did you write a rabbit book? You know, it was the weirdest thing. We had this website. Because uh, they're not the same, are no, they? No, 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 no. We started this page on the Bird Chick site called Disapproving Rabbits, and we took pictures of our rabbits and what they disapproved of. Mm. And then people started sending us photos, and so we added what they disapproved of. And then we got an email from someone who claimed to be from HarperCollins and said, here's some money. Do you want to turn this into a book? And I thought it was a joke, and then I Googled him, and he actually worked for HarperCollins. So we won the internet lottery. You know, you create right. a web page for shits right. and giggles, and then somebody gives you a big pile of money. Disapproving rabbits. Yeah. There you go. Cool. So your obsession that you're here to talk about I'm tonight is, is no, let, let, let me at least fucking say it, Sharon. <laughs> you think you're not obsessed with birds, That's correctly? Right. This is a, we have all first tonight. We have sports obsessed with something that doesn't exist, and someone who is clearly fucking obsessed with something, who claims they are not. I can quit any time, man. I yeah. No, you can't. What what would you do? What would you do? Would, you can't be a bunny watcher, right? <laughs> it doesn't pay as well. It doesn't pay as well. Okay, so why are you not obsessed with birds? It's not easy to answer. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Come on. No, no, I had a long discussion with my husband about this. Um, right. I know people who are clearly more obsessed about birds than I am. Like, when it comes to a Pidinex flycatchers, I don't give a rat's ass. I have a threshold where I just don't care about birds anymore. And I know people who 
keep track of birds that aren't technically a species yet, and then the day the American Ornithologist Union declares them a species, we'll spend the entire day seeing, okay, now this county list has this many birds, this state list now has this many birds, my ABA list now has this well, many birds. We're not here to talk about other people who are more obsessed than you. I mean, that's not a good definition of... See, and I see that. And it's like you can I, always I, find someone who's more obsessed than you. Okay, here's another thing. I know bird watchers who have been in the middle of getting busy, <laughs> have gotten a phone you, and you, call. by that you mean sex, not yes. watching birds, right? They, Just they were, to clarify. They were, they were about to seal the deal. Okay. A text message or a phone call comes in. There's a boreal owl. You've got to come see it now. And thanks for the pro tip. Sure. And uh, they they stop what they're doing and they go. So out they to pull get out. Owl. They pull out. Yes. I go look at an owl. I'm not going to give up sex for birds. Okay. Well, that I think. Almost everyone that I have on this podcast, if that was one of my questions that I asked at the end, like, but seriously, would you rather have sex or watch Empire Strikes Back? I think most people would just answer both. So, <laughs> I don't why can't you do both? You can watch birds while you're having sex, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there was way too knowing of a look in your eye for that. I, and I'm really good at, at birding by ear, so yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but... So you could just shout out birds that you're hearing that, while you're having sex. That doesn't go over well. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine not. Okay, so but okay, so you obviously know a lot about birds. I don't need to ask you I know about. A fair amount, yeah. Yeah. So when did you first become interested in birds? Well, unlike most bird watchers, I didn't see an actual live bird. My sister got her new house, and she had a Peterson field guide, and I was looking through it, and there was a picture of a crow-sized woodpecker, and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool," and I snapped. And that is, I've been interested in birds since. And how old were you when you saw the crow's sized woodpecker? I was about seven. Okay. Oh, well, that was traumatizing. I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, so, what was really traumatizing was my mom was not interested in birds, and she ended up seeing that particular woodpecker before I did, and so I felt that that was a betrayal. Could, could you? <laughs> I, can I jump in? Oh, with please a do. Please do. What? Elaborate on snap. What, what was that like? What happened? I just knew that that's what I was interested in. Like, what like you like, like bit a couch snapping. or something? What do you What do you mean by you snapped? I like, mean, it was like it? I went from being really into Smurfs and My Little Pony to birds. Right, and you had this epiphany that wow, birds are real. Yeah, yeah, and and then I think and then people just started giving me bird stuff. Okay, and so it it built from there, but yeah. So, but you didn't let it go. You chose a a profession. Not at first, but yeah, um, I thought. You know, you know, when you're a teenager and you're deciding your college major, I thought theater was a better way to go. Right. <laughs> and then, and then uh, you know, after and trying to work snapped. as an actor for a year in the <laughs> Twin Cities, I was like, oh, maybe birds might be a better way to make some money. Okay, so and then you, you, you've been in this profession for a number of years, right? Since 1997. And you're time. very successful. Like, in the birding community, you're super well-known, right? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're a bird rock star. I'm uncomfortable saying that, but, 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 it, I, but it's true. Watcher, I'm very well known. Right. Like birds know you, right? <laughs> like birds oh, sing songs no. about, I think we're being watched by her. That is so Have you inaccurate. been seen by Bird Chick yet? No. I hear their songs. I know what they're saying. No. No. That's really disturbing. No. <laughs> I'm picturing you like an assassin. Like people know like Bird Chick is coming. You make me sound like... Game of Thrones, winter is coming. No, no birds, <laughs> birds have absolutely no fucking idea who I am. <laughs> well, Except maybe sad. my cockatiel. That's 
You have a cockatiel? Yeah, it doesn't okay. like me. That's sad. Does it like your husband? Yes. He, it likes anyone with facial hair. Okay. Cool. All right, let's just move on. So, <laughs> all right, so like John, you, you, you found a connection in youth, and you carried it through to your adulthood, and you, you made it your profession. Yes. So what is your hang-up that you're not willing to call that an obsession? Because... Well, I think I said it earlier when I said I'm not willing to give up sex for birds. Okay, but I do I, not that, have that a binder uh, of of what counties I've seen every. Okay, bird but I, I'm not accepting the other people are more obsessed than me argument because right. there's always going to be people who are more obsessed with you, and those people are called crazy people. <laughs> there's always going to be crazy people who like something more. But see, I think back to when I was a teenager and maybe really into the movie Labyrinth. I felt that was more of an obsession that I've let go of. Whereas birds, it, they're just... But you're not a Labyrinth watcher professionally. <laughs> no, there's no money in that. <laughs> you don't hang out in the woods and see if anyone is watching Labyrinth. Now I kind of want to. <laughs> what, would you swap in profession or vocation? Is there a word you would assign, assign other than obsession to your relationship with birds? I think it's more like being born straight or gay. It's just, I can't help it. What? <laughs> this is the first time I've used my high-pitched voice on this podcast, but I had no, to. No, what? I think it's not an obsession. I think I was just born that way. <laughs> okay, so you were just born kind of interested in birds. That's, that's your <laughs> argument. Very interested. And I think when I was there seven and I saw that field guide, it was like, oh, this makes sense. Some people are born straight. Some people are born gay. Some people are born more interested in sex than birds, but pretty interested in birds. Yes. That's your argument? I, I don't think there's... I mean, there was a period when I was a teenager when I tried to escape it. And... <laughs> <laughs> you can never escape birds. They're everywhere. <laughs> They're yeah. everywhere. Have you seen the movie? Tippy Hedren tribe. Yeah, I it's know. It's called The Birds. It's easy no. to find on Netflix. I, I, seriously, as a teenager... What's like, it about? It's about birds! Really? And maybe repression, because it's Hitchcock. No, but I, I let it go, and then one day, there was this really hot guy that I knew in college. <laughs> and, I, and we were both going... Was he a bird? No. Oh. He's way better looking. And um, he had a much bigger cloaca, too. But anyway, we were... <laughs> <laughs> no one knows what that means, and they're disgusted. <laughs> but no, I was, we, were, we were walking across campus. I really, really wanted to get to know him better. And I was like, what, what can I do to draw him into conversation? What's going to be interesting? And a bird flew in front of us. And before I could help myself, I said, oh, rufus-sided towie. And I just kind of covered my mouth. And he said, what did you say? And I said, oh, nothing, don't worry about it. And he's like, no, seriously, what, what did you just say? And I said, oh, that bird that flew in front of us, I knew what it was. And he said, well, that's really cool. And I said, well, I know a lot of birds. <laughs> and I got laid that night. So then I was like, this feels right. <laughs> <laughs> so birds are tied to sexuality with you. They're, Pretty much. They're either a route to sex or a route away from sex. If I have to use birds as a route away from sex with you, then something is wrong. Yes, <laughs> because you're married. <laughs> and you have been for a long time. And, and your husband, uh, Bill, is very... He does your birding podcast with you, right? Yes, he does. And he's pretty well-known in the birding community, right? Yes. Is non-birding Bill, right? Yeah, he has his own 
sense of celebrity, which is very strange. And it's, I'll go to bird festivals and conventions, and people are like, where's non-birding Bill? And I said, you do know the name, right? And, and they're surprised that he doesn't want to come and look at birds. <laughs> okay, so how would you define the word obsession? I, I think of it as like being maybe in a dark basement and, <laughs> you know, you do it all the time. You can't stop at all and it's uncontrollable. Again, I'm thinking back to Labyrinth when I was a teenager. <laughs> exactly. So obviously there aren't going to be birds in a dark basement for the most part. because Oil know. birds, maybe. You know so much. She's How just, can you not she's be obsessed? She's just making up birds now. <laughs> Don't make me bring my goat sucker book from Princeton University Press. Goat sucker? Is that they real? Actually, they actually recently changed its Latin name, so it's no longer goat sucker, but Wait, cave mouth. That's, that's not better. You're talking about a chupacabra, and that's Some not a Some people call them the chupacabra. You know, we have a type of chupacabra that flies over. We have the nighthawk that breeds here in the Twin Cities, quite possibly on the roof of your house. Yeah, I bet it does. Okay. So, what is it going to take in the next couple minutes for you to admit that birds are an obsession? And an obsession is not necessarily a negative thing. It is a way to express, I am intensely interested in this. Another Jameson Rocks? <laughs> uh, can we get another Jameson Rocks for Sharon? I, I, I'm well, serious. I'll, I'll buy you another Jameson Rocks. Uh, uh, and then I'll tell you, I love birds. I love them so much. Joseph, I gotta say, I like your, your interview technique, which is, I've decided what the truth is, and I'm going to yell at you until you agree. The funny thing is, and then a kiss is nowhere close we'll all, to as loud as I can be. And then we'll all pretend that these are questions. And again, I'm gonna stand by until I get the other Jamison Rocks that I was just born interested in birds. I couldn't help it. Quit trying to judge me. I'm not, but the, here's the thing is, you're implying judgment. John's right that I'm yelling at you, but I would argue, <laughs> I would argue that they're at least in tarot bangs that have both a question mark and an exclamation point. You can be really into something. Because I'm not just saying like, come on! I'm not like just Jack Bowering you of like, tell me! <laughs> It'll be okay. Tell me! I'm not doing that. No, I have a threshold. I distinctly remember taking this four-hour hike up a volcano in Guatemala to see this giant tree. Quit laughing like that. Volcanoes I just see this giant glorious. tree chicken that's super rare. It's <laughs> You're rare just making up names. No. A tree chicken. <laughs> How are we going to know? How can we name a bird? It's How about a thing that isn't a bird and another no, thing that isn't a bird? Its, its actual name is a horned guan. You can Google horned guan death march. And uh, I went up this mountain, and I remember like being passed by 50-year-old Guatemalan men with burdens of lumber and coffee on their back and just thinking... There is something wrong with me. I, I willingly said I would do this. Okay, so here we're getting to it, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use my soft, gentle voice. <laughs> you are coming into this assuming that obsession is a bad thing, and I do not perceive it as a bad thing. Okay. I perceive it as, I, I joke, and I call it about liking things a little too much, but it's just about that, that place where you pass, where, as John said, it becomes a part of you. It's just like love. Wait a minute, are we, are we talking about bondage now? Because that. <laughs> That's for another podcast, Sharon. <laughs> when we do Shackled with Joseph Scrimshaw. Then I'll talk about how obsessed I am. <laughs> but you, you, you're perceiving it as, as, as a negative thing, and I, I don't think it's a negative thing. I think it's, it's, this, it's more than a passing, like, I like that. If it's on, maybe I'll watch it, versus, like, I need to watch it. Do you think, though, that we 
project an obsession onto Sharon, though, because she it's kind of weird to know that much about birds. It's not weird to know. It's well, like the number one freaking hobby in the United States. Really? It's yes. Sorry, I used my high voice again. <laughs> I just got a, a survey that hasn't been released to the public yet that was given by U.S. Fish and Wildlife <laughs> about how popular bird watching is. Mm. It's more popular than I'm going to get fishing. killed more later. More money was spent <laughs> on bird watching me. than fishing. I'm going to get stabbed in the neck. Um, <laughs> but Where's that other it's not box? so much the bird watching, it's the bird knowledge. I love watching birds. I lo- you know, and, and we live here along the Mississippi where there's all these great migratory birds. I mean, I, that, I've, that I've... 60% of the, the waterfowl in the United States pass along the Mississippi River during migration. This, you've just you're, proved you're, my point. Yeah, thank you. You're doubling down, Sharon. You really are. <laughs> but, like, I, you know, I... <laughs> I emailed you a few months back because there was a bird driving me crazy outside my window. Oh my god, you're the one guy who hates chickadees. Well, when they don't <laughs> let me sleep. Was that what it was? Yes! Chickadees? I think that's a W.C. Fields movie, actually. <laughs> you're the one guy who hates one chickadees. One guy who hates chickadees. With Humphrey Bogart, I remember that one. <laughs> and uh, no, there was, and I, I emailed you or Facebook messaged you and you know typed out. It was like the car talk guys. I typed out what the sound was, and I said, how long will this keep happening at five in the morning when I, you know, and waking me up? And you said, well, it's a male chickadee. Once he finds a mate, he'll settle down, he'll mellow out. And I don't, you know, I'm agnostic as to whether or not you're obsessed, but (laughs) you know more about birds than anybody else I know or anybody else I could ever imagine knowing that much about birds. And so I think maybe people who know you who don't have that, deep well of knowledge, maybe project an obsession onto you, whether or not it's there in the first place. But that's like saying Joseph is obsessed with comedy. You're like obsessed with talking like a public radio guy. I mean, that's your <laughs> job. But I really like I that am. obsession because it makes it doing that. <laughs> that makes it sound like he's a serial killer, though. Like I'm gonna talk like a public radio guy. You know what burr, I do burr, is burr. a little more than just talking <laughs> like a certain kind of guy. <laughs> That's true. Okay. Well, sure. Wits is very good. I've seen it. Yeah. So many I times. could yell and use my sensitive voice and my high pitched <laughs> voice at you about this for hours. But we need to uh, we need to move on to your your sensitive pompous questions. Are you ready? All right. I'm so ready. Okay. There's only there's no Jameson Rocks. Well, I could seriously buy uh, her another Jameson Rocks if anyone has time to get her one. She just drank. Um, so Sharon, are you ready? Ready? I'm gonna get, babe. If someone created a whiskey and let you name it, what would you call that whiskey? Cocksucker. <laughs> No pause. Is that a type of bird? <laughs> it probably isn't. It would country. always. It would need something in front of it because I always have. So it would have to right. be like a Mexican cocksucker Peruvian or something. Cocksucker. A Peruvian <laughs> cocksucker. L cocksucker. Oh, that's great. I would love to drink a whiskey called Peruvian cocksucker. Let's talk to the guy who made two gingers. Because that's a great follow-up. Slightly different whiskey, <laughs> little sharper bite. Gets you slightly Two drunker. Two is the same. Paul whiskey. Cocksucker is a Minneapolis whiskey. Yeah, Peruvian cocksucker. Great Minneapolis whiskey. <laughs> All right, so your second pompous question is, which Barry Manilow song is the most erotic? Ooh, <laughs> it's a hard choice. You know, I once heard him do, on a piano live, Under the Moon, uh, Weekend in New England. And even he conceded at the end of it that if you couldn't get laid to that song after that moment, that it wasn't his fault. Was that the whole title? 
on a piano <laughs> under the moon in Cleveland, or what the fuck was no, it? It was in Indianapolis. Yeah. But uh, but no, I, I think weekend in New England with just Barry and his piano. That that is a very fuckable song. All right. So next time you're looking at birds, but would prefer to have sex. By the way, bite me for bringing up Barry Manilow. <laughs> but you you like Barry Manilow, right? I do. He changed my life. Are you obsessed with him? That probably would have been a better thing to ask me about <laughs> earlier. All oh, right. Sharon's other Jameson with Rocks is here. Thank you, Farah. I would not be into birds were it not for Barry Manilow. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a long story, right? Well, what is it? It's a short story. I used to be engaged to a man who hated birds, who had one eye. And <laughs> and one day I was... T- I you said, aren't real. You're making these things up. I am not. He had one eye. His name was Bob. And um, <laughs> he used to say things like, I can't wait to see you pregnant. But anyway... <laughs> he was an ostrich. <laughs> I took an art class. The art teacher was playing different music to see how we would draw different things. She played a lot of YouTube because that was her thing. And uh, one day she started playing this song about this guy who had come home and he was trying to figure out how to love his woman again. It just wasn't working out. He tried talking to his doctor and I was like, oh my God, that's me. I don't like One-Eyed Bob anymore. I need to figure out how to get out of this. And I was like, where is this song? Who said this? And the person next to me said, "Um, this is a very Manilow song. And I, I broke off my engagement that night. Did you actually call him? Did you say, I'm sorry, One-Eyed Bob? I can't marry you because Barry Manilow told me not to. He was a very sensitive guy. It was a much longer conversation. But no, I remember once I left him alone in his zoo and he got cornered by a peacock. And it was an argument that lasted for 48 hours. I should have known then it was wrong. All right, this is an awkward segue, but what is happiness? <laughs> a long soak in a hot tub. Lovely. Ladies and gentlemen, Sharon Steitler. And if I could ask Lee Burkhalter to join us on the stage. Hey. Thank you. And you can go ahead and pluck that microphone out of its out of its holding there. And hold it nice and close. John is, of course, a radio professional, I'll so he can you. give you a tip. Okay, you want to hold it like this, where to the point where you can smack it into your collarbone. Right there, so it hits your collarbone. Give it a try. Whack your collarbone. Yeah, and then and then hold it right there. So the no, it's right under your nose, but collarbone whacking distance. Seriously, whack your collarbone. There. I'll, I'll <laughs> I never went to journalism school. I just learned this from watching TV and the news. No, he's but it really works. just a pervert. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Lee, don't worry. I was harder on Sharon because I know Sharon, and I know that I can push pretty hard. <laughs> and I also know that she's full of shit about not being obsessed with birds. I'm so kicking your ass outside the BLB. <laughs> I know, I know. I look forward to that. Okay, so... So, Lee, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do for a living? I work for the Hennepin County Library System. Oh, nice. Yeah. Awesome. So what, what do you do for the library? I'm a librarian substitute. Okay, so does that mean you're, like, working the floor? Do you, like, check in books as well? Do you, like, I, decide what? I do check in books sometimes, but um, I work at all of the branches uh, and answer reference questions. Oh, cool. That's awesome. Okay, so your obsession is with sub-beta, and that is... On an online pet site. Yes. So tell, tell us what that is. Uh, well, a pet site is basically, there are quite a few pet sites online where you adopt some sort of creature and uh, you have to, you're responsible for its upkeep, training it and feeding it and all sorts of things like that. But um, there, it has been, it's evolved to such a, um, 
complex world where now there are um, on Tubeta or Tubeta, uh, you have your own human avatar that you can dress and um, buy all sorts of clothing. So wait a minute, you're telling me this is like Pokemon, but with real animals. Well, they're not real. They're um, the animals are based on kind of mutations of real animals, where you know it looks kind of like a horse, but it's got scales and you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay, and then so you dress your all right. So you dress your avatar in whatever you want. In in what do they do with the animals? Do they just like hang out? Well, the animals can. It's like Pokemon. You can so train they, your do animal they fight? up, and you can send it out to fight various um, bad guys in the world. Like what? What kind of like Exxon <laughs> or like? Um, no, mainly like, like weird things that look very random. Like you can fight this thing called meteor, and it looks kind of like a meteor, only it's got eyes and um, a kind of a grimace. Okay, so this is wait, this wait, 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 wait. That's coughing. What? On Pokemon. Yeah, so it rips off a lot of stuff. Okay, coughing. so this is just this is an online role playing game, right? Yeah. Okay, because I thought we were dealing with like real animals. No, no. <laughs> real like oh, orphaned that, animals. That would be okay. Terrible. <laughs> so they're kept in a large pen. <laughs> the reason I say it would be terrible because um, I actually don't play the game for the pet. My pet mainly I never feed it, so it would be terrible if it were an actual animal. Why don't animal you? Somewhere. Why don't you feed your animal? Uh, my obsession lies more in. You know, I'm basically a virtual hoarder. I um <laughs> I hoard all the virtual stuff that you can, and I I have I have um. About 65 million Tubeta points, which is the currency of that site right okay. now. So can you, is it like uh, a World of Warcraft where you can like trade that in on like eBay for real money? You know, some people do spend real money on it. And you can, uh, I'm sure there's a way that you could finagle someone to, to pay you real money for points. But um, I don't do that because it's, it wouldn't be worth the time to put in. You, you, you'd have all, you know, you'd have five billion Tubeta points, and someone might give you five dollars for it. Okay. It's well, I'm curious because I, 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 I find it weird that I've never heard of this. So, by applause, ha, have anyone in the has anyone in the audience ever heard of this? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how did you find this if it's not like a normal, like, well-known well, thing? Um, I came from a different website. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't let it have been disapproving rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> so when you say a, a pet site, so what are there a lot of like fake pet sites? Like yes. I collect rabbits, I collect dogs, whatever. Um, no, uh, it's more like every site. Like the first site I belonged to was one of the earliest um, what they pet sites. It's called Neopets, and um, someone may have heard of that. I mean, they're a lot bigger. They actually have stuffed animals and you know virtual toys that you can okay. you know, buy in stores and stuff like that. Um, and every site, you you can you know adopt one of these animals and name it and train it and fight with it and um, feed it and do all sorts of that. Okay. Kind of thing. So in your game, do you, you, do you ever, what, what's your animal's name? Um, my, my animal's name is Lolito. And, and what kind of animal is it? It is a Lagatia. It's um, a horse with scales, and it's got kind of a weird lion tail. And how does it attack? <laughs> I, I don't make my pet fight. I always felt that was kind of um, a mean thing to do. So my pet... Um, how did you get 65 million points without letting your pet fight? Well, um, the Cebeta points is 
more currency, you get experience points for your pet battling. I mean, it's very complicated. Well, exactly, but how? if it's not battling, what does it do? Does it watch? Um, I have it set up in a nice um, resort <laughs> right now. <laughs> so, so it's like some asshole executive? <laughs> no, no, it's, um, it's sounds kind of, fantastic. It's <laughs> like a retirement home. <laughs> okay, so let me, okay, let, me, let me try to summarize. You have created a fake animal to be so fucking amazingly lazy that it gets points in enough points that you could maybe get real money because your fake animal is so successfully lazy. Yes. She's better than all I of am us. in the she wrong is. profession. We have Screw birds. all done so the wrong I thing. Her to adopt me. <laughs> and this might be this might and be too personal. The okay, no, go ahead. The part of it is that, you know, this is worth nothing. So all of the 65 million, you know, points I have is is totally useless to me in real life. Yet I can't stop going back and making more and hoarding it. Is it but meant for grown-ups or is it meant for kids or meant for everybody? It's meant for um, probably this site because they allow things such as swearing or you know um, co- controversial conversations to go on on various parts of the site, which is disallowed in other sites. So this is more of like a college. Have you ever discussed the uh, of a controversial conversation? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, they on the forum aspect, you can discuss anything you like. Have you talked about the supersonics ever? No, (laughs) I've never seen that topic come up. (laughs) But it could. I'd like to make Jack Sigma fight in the. (laughs) I'm really nervous now because the last rabbit I adopted, the Humane Society said he had a checkered past, and now I'm. Learning what that might be. Okay, so you it, it, so you already shutters. you already an- Lee you already answered me about your job. Obviously, like you have hours there. It's not like you're like I, you're calling in sick. Like I can't no. be a librarian today. No. I have to really monitor that my horse scale thing is sitting around. <laughs> so uh, so again, like going from Sharon's conversation, it's not necessarily a negative thing to be an obsession, right? Is there are are there things in your life that you're like I wish I were doing that, but I'm too busy on sub beta. Yes. Um, I, I try to write as well. And usually I, I get to a point where I'm like, I, well, I can't write this because I'm too awful at writing. So I'll just go play Tibetan. Well, that's called being a writer. <laughs> yeah. All writers. John's a writer too. Sharon writes. You will find any excuse not to write. <laughs> the next time I'm not writing, I might be making a horse scaly thing on subbedda. <laughs> so, uh, so are you in a relationship right no. now? No, okay, good. Yes, Tuba takes up all my time. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's no. obsession. No, it's not. D- oh, oh, Sharon. <laughs> no. Uh, so. Does it make you happy? Well, actually, yes. I, I mean, I think it might annoy other people because, you know, they'll say, well, how was your day? And I was like, well, it's really great because I got something or other today and it was worth one million Tibeta points. So then I sold it and it was really great because now I'm having more Tibeta points. So I'm going to ask you some some serious pompous questions. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. So uh, is there anything that you would like to yell? You can yell no louder than that. Well, I'm, a, I'm a librarian, so usually... <laughs> Would you like to yell shush? <laughs> you know, the patrons actually do that more than we ever need to. So. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, so th- this is so I came up with this question for whoever the random audience volunteer was, and I, okay. I didn't know it would be you. 
What is your spirit animal? <laughs> My spirit animal is a coelacanth. <laughs> awesome. That might, th it, you know, if you put Mexican or Peruvian in front of it, we would believe it was a bird. <laughs> yeah. And finally, what is happiness? Happiness is getting to the end of a book and realizing you don't want to finish it because it stopped there. Ladies and gentlemen, Lee! Okay. So we have, we have just a few minutes left, but somebody needs to win this podcast. And so I have created a quiz. Uh, I had the privilege of knowing John and Sharon's obsessions before this. Lee, I'm just going to have to make your questions up. So we're, we're going to start with John. And here's how the points are going to be uh, awarded. I will give you a point if you are absolutely correct. I will give you a point if you are grossly incorrect. And no point if you're kind of close. <laughs> so, John, yes. in the 1968-69 to 69 season, how many rebounds per game did Lenny Wilkins average? I'm going to say 8.3. That's really close. Is it's it? 6.2. Okay, okay. All right. I can't um, award him a point because no, it he was... was a, he was a shooting guard. I, I, I aim to <laughs> But the fact that you could think that through. He coached the team to the championship. I saw that when I read all about them on Wikipedia two all hours ago. All-time coach in NBA history. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Really? You're using Wikipedia? Oh, yes. Inaccuracy is so out the window. I know. <laughs> so, Sharon, uh, this is also from Wikipedia. Are you ready? Yeah. Isn't it awesome that birds evolved from dinosaurs? Of course. That's a correct answer. <laughs> it is indeed awesome. And do you know what kind of uh, dinosaurs birds evolved from? Awesome dinosaurs. <laughs> exactly. Awesome saurus. That's right. All right. Fuck you up, a saurus. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so for our audience volunteer, uh, your question is: How many times a day do young men between the ages of thirteen and sixteen check out Judy Bloom novels? <laughs> Two times. Two times. That's exactly correct. <laughs> so far, Sharon and Lee are in the lead with one trouble. point each. Cheers to that. You want some Jameson? All right. Okay. John, your next question is yes. also from Wikipedia. According to the Wikipedia article about the Supersonics, yes. the purchase of the team by Barry Ackerley in mm. 1983 initiated a period of blank and blank. Uh, by Barry Ackerley, uh, um, something in prosperity. It's, uh, I would say, stability and prosperity. I'm going to award a point for that because it is grossly <laughs> incorrect. Awesome. <laughs> the Wikipedia article claims it initiated a period of decline and mediocrity. <laughs> oh, no. That was right in your sweet spot of youth where you were enjoying the team, Explain right? Explain the 96 championship series against the Bulls then, Wikipedia. Wikipedia can't. Wikipedia can't explain shit, can it? <laughs> All right, so Sharon, what kind of bird exactly, precisely, is the Twitter logo? You goddamn son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> Albino, Blackburnian, Warbler. So it's got albino and black in the title, but it's blue. Yes. All right. That is, that is grossly incorrect because the answer is it's unknowable. 
Maybe to someone who doesn't know a goddamn thing about birds, but yeah. So you, you're claiming the shape is, is that a real bird you just said? I'm claiming that the shape is definitely warbler. I, you're, you're taking a train to zero town. <laughs> you know, it's not my fault because he's getting his information from Wikipedia. It's an express train. This one was not from Wikipedia. I made this one up all by myself <laughs> for my huge just obsession so with Twitter. Okay, uh, so the next question for the audience volunteer is, what kind of internet do you have? Firefox? That's correct. <laughs> the, the moral is, guys, if you want to win this podcast, you yeah. need to lot, not let me know that you're coming. All right, so right now, let's see, Lee has two points, uh, Sharon has one point, John has one point. Now I'm going to give both John and Sharon a chance to take it back, all right? All right. Okay, I want either of you, or both of you, you can just jump in to tell me the most upsetting, disturbing thing you've done based on your obsession. John, you, you're gonna really have to work hard to beat Sharon. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I have never dressed up as a bird. <laughs> I've but dressed up as a bird. Did you really? I dressed up as Big Bird at uh, Enchanted Village in Federal Way, Washington as part of a summer job. I am so comfortable giving up that point right now. I can't <laughs> even begin to tell you. It was a crappy Big Bird suit, though. It was an off-brand. I don't think it was officially <laughs> licensed by Sesame Street, so I just looked like I lost a huge bet of some sort. <laughs> but the most... Uh, I guess the most upsetting thing that I've done... Uh, as a Sonics fan, was uh, in my was when I kind of violated a little bit of journalistic <laughs> principle, and I was doing a story that involved interviewing members of the Sonics. Ooh. Um, and you know, so I was I was talking to some of the players I had to for this story. Jack Sigma was an assistant coach for the Sonics at the time, and I kind of cornered him and interviewed him for 15 minutes, uh, just about various things. That had nothing to do with... I wasn't going to use We're the just tape. like, what's your favorite ice I cream? I wasn't going to use like, the tape in my story at all. <laughs> and I said, so, you know, I, I didn't ask him about the tight curly perm he got in, in 81. But I did... Um, <laughs> I, I did talk to him at length with no intention of ever using the tape. And especially because it was a terrible interview and gave me nothing <laughs> good at all. But, uh, yeah, talk that, to him at length. Okay, that, oh, that's... I, Sharon, I can beat that. that. Yeah. Beat that. All right. uh, sure you on can. On my five-year wedding anniversary, uh, I inadvertently scheduled a bird program, and uh, my husband accused me of loving birds more than him. <laughs> and without skipping a beat, I said, it's apples and oranges, really. Oh. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the winner is Lee. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all very much for coming, and have a wonderful night. Good night. John Moe, Sharon Steitler, Lee Burkholder, thank you. You've been listening to Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest. Rate five stars if you're impressed. Obsessed.